Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Sons of Sequoia podcast, broadcasting live from Wheat Ridge, Colorado, the home of the champions. It is Monday, May 10th, and today we are going to discuss the Clash of the Titans, the lawsuit between Epic Games and Apple Incorporated. Good morning, Mike. How are you? I'm doing perfectly fine. It's uh, it's a nice, beautiful, overcast day here in Denver, Colorado. And uh, how are you this morning, David? I'm a little worried myself. I woke up, and as I was getting ready for the podcast today, I saw some municipal workers going down into a manhole. And then I saw a backhoe come, and they went two houses down, and they're going to, looks like they're going to tear up the street and that person's lawn and work on their main. And... And I have this fear, and I think that it's partly a fear of lack of knowledge and irrationality. But when I see him tearing up my neighbor's house, I feel like my house is next. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 But as far as the main line, uh, your main line was fixed years ago. Yeah. A, a brand new one was put in. So the main line in the street may be broken, but yours to your, to your house shouldn't be. No, it shouldn't. But, I, I mean, I see... They do work at the end of the street, um, down the block, and then sort of throughout the last 10 years or so, you know, it's been getting closer and closer. Now it's just two houses away. <laughs> and I, I know it doesn't work that way. Like, it's probably those people hadn't had the work done, and now this guy is going to have to have the work done. But but I just don't want poop on my basement floor. That's the last I thing I want. That's right. And sometimes it's it's not your doing. It's outside of your house and outside your property that can mm-hmm. back up into your house. That's well, that, true. That's what I'm worried about. They start working yeah. down the street, but I feel like I'm higher gravity-wise. But then again, if they block it there, I'm the, next, I'm the work, next stop. It'll work its way up. You know, your your picture is very clear. Mine's very uh, cloudy. Is it is it on my side? Um, I think it just has to do with the amount of internet you have because my download speeds are fine my upload speeds they stink and that's comcast's fault a lady came to my house she's trying to sell me on CenturyLink, which is the dsl i suppose it's fiber which would have been way faster but then i would have had to have holes drilled in the side of my house and it's like i'm already set up you know and that's a big yeah. that's a big consideration when switching well, there was Comcast working up the street, too, so they may be doing something to to our service and our lines. Yeah, we may lose. I forgot to change the YouTube description before I started, so I screwed that up. Let's uh, change that real quick. Episode 70. Today is Epic versus Apple. May 10th. And... This is going to be a very interesting discussion, too. Epic Epic Games is pretty big. Apple is big. And it's like Battle of the Titans. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, Epic Games is big, and Fortnite was a big hit. and But when you think about it, and um, I don't know. I just feel like I don't know this for certain, but... Epic Games is probably less than 5% of the size of Apple. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, they're big. That's 5% of the size of Apple is big. That's a $10 billion company or $50 billion, I don't know. But not as big as Apple. 
Well, you're right. They're they're big, but they're I think as far as what I understand, they're they're growing very very quickly. Yeah, they, they grew fast, so they don't they didn't have that time to get big like Apple. But the but the question is how how are they going to? Um, well, the question is history of Apple, history of Epic, and what the fight is, what the issues are, and I guess that's what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah. So I haven't read ahead, but I do know just by osmosis what the issue is. So do you have any idea what the issue is? Uh, not not tech, not in detail. Okay. It's just something about uh, uh, legal uh, rights of... Uh, no, I really don't. Okay, so Epic Games, I played Fortnite. We did an episode where I played Fortnite and you coached me. Uh-huh, yeah. And that was uh-huh. the last time I played Fortnite. So even though I didn't do very well then, I'm probably even worse now. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, to get Fortnite, I suppose I could share my screen and show people. Why not, right? Because I have it here. Yep. Okay. So here's my screen. And if I open up the Epic Games launcher, this is where you launch and install games from Epic. Now, if we go to my library, um, I don't have Fortnite installed. So the only two games I have installed are Rocket League and Among Us because I'm not a real gamer. But this is where I would install Fortnite. And then in-game through here, I would purchase V-Bucks. So I'd give the Epic Games client my payment information and use it to buy the in-game currency. Mm -hmm. Well... Fortnite or Epic, I mean, it's I got a Epic gets that money. And uh, let me go back to this real quick Among Us, Rocket League, Grand Theft Auto, those are not Epic Games games. Uh, this is Psionics, I forget what company makes this, and this is Rockstar Games. So if you buy additional stuff through the Epic Gateway, Epic will take a 10% cut, but then pass through. I don't know, 15, I think it might be 15% cut, but then pass through the money to these companies. I see. Well, when you install Fortnite on an iPhone, Apple takes 30% of everything you buy in-game for Fortnite on the iPhone. And so even though Epic has a similar model with their uh, Epic Game Store, There are other places you could get Among Us. There's other places you could get Rocket League and other places you could get Grand Theft Auto. Uh, There's services like uh, Steam, which is a video game aggregator. There's services like Xbox or PlayStation where you could buy buy it for. So um, on the PC, there's multiple avenues. The, The problem is that on an iPhone, you can only get software from the App Store. So they're saying... You formed a monopoly. And Uh. we have to give 30% of our revenue here because you're controlling the hardware and the software. Now, the argument doesn't hold as much for Android phones because you can sideload applications. I mean, it is a little bit of an onerous process. You have to sort of lower your security, and then you can run code that's not from the official Google Play Store. And Apple, on on an iPhone, you can't do that. So the Epic versus Apple suit is what Fortnite tried to do was program within its own game 
a mechanism that bypassed the money collection system of iOS. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Very interesting. Um, and so when they did that, iOS said, no, you cannot sell in-app purchases within the game and circumvent our payment processing system. That violates your terms of use as a developer. And so Apple pulled Fortnite's ability to be on iOS. Well, they lost millions of users, obviously, millions of kids, because everyone knows that Fortnite is played by children. But they lost millions of children spending hundreds of their parents' of dollars. So millions of children spending hundreds of their parents' of dollars is hundreds of millions of dollars, right? That's right. Um, so that's my understanding of the debate. The, uh, Epic believes that they should be allowed to activate, to, to act on iOS the same way they do on PC, where they have their own payment gateway, their own store. And Apple's saying, that's not the way it works. We provide the platform for you, and you have to play by the rules of the platform. You can't sort of make a platform within a platform. So that, that argument right there alone is very, very interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, when someone creates a platform, how many, how much, how far do their rights go? Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, and how far their control goes. That's that's very interesting, and I think that's something that has, well, that that's the same issue, the the general issue, isn't that the same issue, David? Is like uh, Facebook and and Twitter and everything on on controlling the information that goes through there. Well, platform? controlling the information is one thing, but Apple, what they've Realize, and one reason why they're one of the biggest companies in the world is it's not just the information you control, it's the money. You know? Yeah. Like the revenue model for Epic Games. They develop this game. They pay their developers probably pretty decent salaries to continually update this game. And people enjoy playing it on an iPhone or an iPad because that's the two places where iOS exists. Um, and Apple says, well, if they want to play it on our device, they have to give us 30%. Wow. And it came out that digital purchases through Amazon, they had negotiated a 15% rate. So that was part of it was Amazon, this huge company, says, you know, if, if you buy a movie from Amazon Prime, but it's through iOS, Amazon doesn't get that 10 bucks. They have to give uh, Apple one dollar fifty, but if they were any other developer, they'd have to give Apple three dollars on that ten dollar movie you bought on Amazon Prime. So they were giving preferential treatment to large vendors because they have bargaining power in the marketplace. Fascinating, mm -hmm. huh? And we're working on volume then. Mm-hmm. But then, why should a little guy, let's say you and I, we let's say you developed a a statistics course, and it's an app. And there's videos. Uh, and so you download the app on iOS. And it's like, do you want the additional modules? Each one is $10. And they come with digital assets, you know, like a video. Well, why should Apple take $3 from us, but only $1.50 from Amazon? That doesn't seem fair either, right? Just because Amazon's bigger. So shall we read? That's just my back of the envelope, what I understand. Shall we read an article to see what the news media is telling us, the lion fake news media is telling us? 
Yes. Okay, there's no bigger lie in fake news media than, and of course I'm being sarcastic, CNN. Uh, People won't take that as sarcasm. No, because people will believe it unironically. Apple and Epic wrap up their first week of their blockbuster trial. Here's what happened and what's next. People will take it literally, but I think it's more like if you're talking about partisan politics. If you're talking about a business issue, it's like, oh, I, I trust them implicitly. I'll go there for information unless it's anything except for the partisan politics. Then I won't trust them for information. You know what I mean? Uh, I see what you're saying, but but the way I would like to approach it is let me hear what they say uh, and I will I will fact check it before I make any judgment on if it's lying or not. Mm-hmm. So we'll see uh, this Rishi Iyengar, CNN Business, uh, whoever it is. Uh, I'll I'll read what they say, but uh, I think I think you should not believe everything you read or everything you hear. Uh, ask questions, mm-hmm. you know, and and don't judge too quickly, but uh, don't take everything. Uh, uh, for face value. Yes. Don't I'll, believe everything you hear. Although, at some point, do believe the stuff that you hear. You know what I mean? Like well, What I'm saying? Yeah, well, ask questions and say, is this really true? Maybe it is, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, that's kind of what Tucker Carlson does. It's like the vaccine. I'm just asking questions. Are we all going to drop dead from it in six months? I'm just asking questions. And it's like the answer to that question is no. But if you have the platform and you only ask questions and it's like you don't care about the answers, um, you could lead people to decide not to get vaccinated. And that's dangerous, you know. Um, But shall we read this article? Okay. Is Fortnite a game, an app, an expansive virtual universe? All of the above. Is an iPhone just another gaming device or a tightly controlled ecosystem? And is it really as secure as it is reputed to be? These are just some of the many questions that have come up so far and been debated in what could one of be one of the most consequential trials for the modern-day tech industry. Apple, the maker of the iPhone, and Epic Games, the maker of Fortnite, wrapped up the first week of testimony on Friday, with the iPhone inventor trying to fend off accusations from the video game developer that its app store constitutes a monopoly and that it has engaged in anti-competitive behavior. At the heart of the trial is Apple's payment system, which must be used for any in-app purchases and gives 30% cut of any such transactions. In August last year, Epic attempted to circumvent the system, resulting in Fortnite's removal from the App Store, followed by a lawsuit, and now the ongoing trial. What is a game? On the stand, CEO Epic CEO Tim Sweeney repeatedly sought to define Fortnite as more than just a game, using the word metaverse multiple times to refer to a virtual world where people... Through their, own, through their online avatars, attend concerts, watch movies, and go to parties. Other game-driven virtual worlds such as Minecraft and Roblox, both of which are still available on Apple's App Store, also came up repeatedly. Epic is trying to buttress its argument that people do a lot more in Fortnite than just play games, and that Apple's 30% take on transactions within Fortnite's iOS app are anti-competitive, since alternative systems aren't allowed. Now, that's where I may beg to differ. Um, I believe that if you have an Epic account, it will translate to PC or your Mac. And if you want more V-Bucks, 
of course, it's the same cost, but if you switch devices from your iPhone to your computer, you can purchase the V-Bucks and then they'll appear on your iPhone and it'll circumvent Apple's 30% take. Interesting, huh? Yeah. So it's like, the thing is that they think people aren't going to go through that inconvenience. If it's like, oh, I need more V-Bucks, I want this. They'll just push the button on their phone. That's how people operate these days. They won't say, oh, well, I don't want Apple to have 30% of this revenue. Let me put away my phone, go grab my laptop, and then purchase it, and then put that away and bring back my phone because that's where I play the game. People won't do that. But I think it's it. I don't know if this line, alternative systems are not allowed. They're, they're not allowed on iPhone, but they are allowed. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like... If I had an iPhone and I played the game, we can go back to this real quick. If I had an iPhone and I played the game, I could go in-game here uh, on my PC and buy V-Bucks, come back to my iPhone, and use those V-Bucks in-game. So alternative systems are allowed. They're just not allowed on the iPhone. Um, Presenting Fortnite as more than a game is an attempt to expand the scope of the case and show how onerous Apple's restrictions are, according to Ari Lightman, professor of digital media at Carnegie Mellon University. If you download the app from the App Store and then you do in-app purchases, a certain percentage comes back to Apple, part of its agreement. But if you want other additional things, if you want digital experiences virtual experiences that doesn't relate to the gaming but relates to the brand. Does Apple still get a part of that? Should they get a part of that? And Epic's arguing no. That was a a kind of confusing quote, don't you think? The way it was worded. It's like how people talk, not how people write. You know what I mean? While Epic is trying to broaden its scope, Apple, which accounts for more than a billion devices worldwide, is trying to diminish its own. The iPhone and iPad are simply two of the many devices on which Fortnite can be played, the company argues. Among others include Sony PlayStation, Microsoft Xbox, Nintendo Switch, and even smartphones using Apple's main competitor, Google's Android system. Apple claims many of those platforms are far more restrictive than its own. Sony, for example, rarely allows plays against gamers on other devices and doesn't permit outside payment systems. Game consoles also charge 30% commissions. Epic countered that argument by saying that consoles are fundamentally different from iPhones since they are used for a specific purpose, gaming only, and called Microsoft's Xbox executive Lori Wright to the stand to help make that point. We certainly don't view the iPhone as a competing device in the same way as the PlayStation, Wright said in response to questions from Epic's lawyers. That's what I was that's the argument I was making yesterday when I was asked about this. Is um you know, on Xbox or on PlayStation, you have the 30% tax as well. And that goes to Microsoft or Sony. Now, a kid that plays Fortnite on their console, they could say, oh, I want more V-Bucks. Let me go grab my laptop and buy it from the Epic Games Gateway, and then Microsoft and Sony won't get the 30%. And I guess the the thing is, how is this different? It's that everything's migrating to the phone. Everything's migrating to iOS. People are doing all of their transactions and all of their business on a phone. Well, with a computer, 
a traditional computer, even a, a Mac laptop, you can get around that restriction. But what about a future where everything that Apple makes is locked down? Is that, po- that, is that a potential future? If they can lock down, you know, how many iPhones did they say? There's a billion iPhones out there. Mm-hmm. What if their Macs start running iOS and you can't sideload apps? You have to get them from Apple. What happens then? And I think that's, that's a concern. But that's not the state of play right now. Well, what in the when they have that much power, uh, when you have when all the communication goes through a private company, and you have that much power, um, that's if they just cut it off, uh, that that eliminates the efficiency and the actual workings of of a nation. Mm-hmm. Because businesses, people can communicate. They can communicate, but not not if if you're tied into your iPhone. All of a sudden, like the other, like like our, our electricity went out, mm-hmm. and so the only the only way we could communicate was through iPhone, and so we can communicate, we can call, we can report, and this kind of thing. Uh, but that's just us. But what about a company? What about uh, a, a municipality? Uh, how much would that shut down? There's a lot of power in communication. Mm-hmm. C- communication has won and lost wars. Uh, communication has has done a lot uh, uh, positive and all, a lot of negative. So, and, so what all I'm saying is is that it, it sounds like it's just a game. It's just a game. Yeah, but as they grow, uh, they're expanding and growing, and the, this monopoly uh, going more and more to the iPhone. Like you were saying, David, they're not just they're not just using iPhone for games. They're using iPhone for everything. Mm-hmm. Now, now, I have a question. Um, like you're saying, they control the information. You can only use your iPhone. Oh, no, it's not a question. It's an observation. And it sort of betrays my thoughts on a lot of computing or portrays my thoughts on a lot of computing. This is the exact reason why 95% of the Internet runs on servers that run Linux. Because if you want in your data center uh, servers and you want to be able to install whatever software you want and make sure that they're running and make sure there's no license shenanigans, you use open source software. So you're charging for the service you provide, but the tools you're using are open source. So no one entity, no corporate entity can say, oh, well, now you have to pay us 30% for every piece of traffic that comes through your server. And you say, no, it's open source. Like, I used all open source tools to do this. And I think that's a big reason why. Well, of course, there's the reliability, there's the efficiency, there's the lightweight nature of it. But there's a big reason why the Internet runs on Linux. Right. Um, shall we continue? So that- no, yeah, go ahead. but that 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 brings up that brings up some very very good issues. It's it's like uh, uh, convenience, uh, speed, power, uh, or security, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, and sustainability. So I think in the future, 
uh, I think it's a very good point. We need to think more and more, uh, much, think much broader. I think the, the user, uh, the consumer, uh, has given up a lot over the years for convenience and speed and just get on your iPhone. That way they know exactly what you're doing. And I think that, I think you're right. I think that the open source is one way to go, but I think it's going to raise bigger issues in the future on security, on personal security, uh, uh, business security, and even government security, mm -hmm. uh, on how you use that information, how it's misused, and uh, how much we can be con controlled by the information that other people have. Yeah. Well, also, you know, the open source is great for running the backbone of the internet, but to run this podcast, I use a Windows computer. And why do I do that? There's a bunch of closed source applications that I like to use that streamline my workflow that aren't available on Linux. And why are those applications closed source and not available on Linux? Because people want to pay you for them. I mean, people want you to pay for them. And they want, you know, they want their pound of flesh for their closed source software. And that makes sense too. I mean, there's a lot that that's why I think the game developers, it's they all exist on, you know, paid platforms. Linux has been known as a laggard in, in the gaming industry. I think it's it's there's more controls in place for you to monetize on a platform like iOS than if you just tried to, you know, put your code out there in the wild and say, oh, just go on your Android phone, enable sideloading go to GitHub, pull down the code base, install it from source, and then you can play the game. People don't know how to do that. If you say, oh, just search this on Google Play and you can install the software, then you have to comply with Google Play's terms and conditions, rules and regulations. Yeah, they did all that work for you. Yeah. So let me ask you a question, a business question then. Uh, in the future, how would, how would open source be funded? How would open source be underwritten how would open source from a business sense be uh supported and is financially supported and monetized uh in the future uh in order to pay for security and who would do it would the government do it or who would do it from I, a business sense i think the largest funder of the linux foundation is microsoft um so i don't know why the thing is, the, the market capitalization of the Linux Foundation is a fraction of a percent of Microsoft's market capitalization. If, you know, the yeah. value, um, yeah. the, te the technologies are valuable, but because they're not monetizable, they're valuable from a practical standpoint. They're not valuable from a dollars and cents standpoint. That's right. And that practical standpoint is, just let me throw this out there. Uh, I may be moving into areas that I, I don't know that much about. Let me ask. Is that is that more of a public good rather than a a business profitable venture? I don't exactly know like what Microsoft's endgame is with these big investments. I also know the largest one of the largest. I don't want to say the largest because it's always changing. It's called Ubuntu. Have you ever heard of this Ubuntu Linux? One of the largest uh -huh. desktop, and I think now it's one of the largest server Linux distributions. They for a long time had a deal with Amazon, where they put Amazon in the task bar. You know how like on Windows you have a little task bar at the bottom? 
mm-hmm. like when it came installed, it came with Amazon installed, and it encouraged you to sign up for Amazon right away. And that was one of their big money makers. Um, so it's like they bundled the software with a gateway into Amazon for you to buy stuff. And people didn't like that because it's like, well, don't tell me what software to have. I want open source. I want to choose what software I have. Um, so on their desktop distribution, that was a big moneymaker for a while. I know that um, Firefox, Mozilla, a big moneymaker for them for years was having Google be the default search engine. It was a huge portion of their revenue. So Firefox, they saw their market share go from 40% down to 30 to 20 to 15 And that got taken over by Google Chrome. Everyone was using Google Chrome. Well, to stay in business, they're relying on Google giving them enough money to support their operation costs by making Google the the search engine. And so it's fascinating that these companies all work together. And you have to ask yourself, why? Why is Microsoft supporting Linux? Why is Google supporting Mozilla? And I think that if Google is the only company that has a web rendering engine, so their web rendering, rendering engine is called Chromium. And there were four web, re, web rendering engines as of five years ago. There was the Chromium. There was Gecko, which is what Firefox runs off of. There's WebKit, I think. I don't know the Mac side, which is what Safari runs off of. And then there was Edge, Microsoft Internet Explorer. Well, Microsoft Internet Explorer said, it's too costly to maintain our own web rendering engine. For Microsoft Edge, we're going to use Chromium. We're going to use Google's web rendering engine. And so I think Google may fund Mozilla because if Mozilla went out of business, there would be one web rendering engine for the entire PC side of the internet. So Safari has their own, you know, for the for Apple makes Safari. Well, that would be monopolistic, don't you think? Because I, oh, think, yeah. I think Google already does, like, uh, YouTube or something, it'll run better on Chrome than it will on Firefox because YouTube is a Google company and when they make feature changes, they'll tell their web development team that develops the rendering engine, these are going to be the changes we're going to push on our next update. And the web development team, the Chromium team says, oh, well, let's retool the browser's sort of back end so that it runs flawlessly. And Mozilla's playing catch-up. YouTube releases the update, and Mozilla says, how do we... So, I mean, we've sort of got off the epic Apple discussion, but this is all sort of big tech discussion, you know? It's, a, it's, all, it's, all, it's all connected. And so... Uh, you, you talk about compatibility. It ensures compatibility. Yeah. Chrome. So you have Firefox, and it's like, oh, I love Firefox, but YouTube's always a little bit janky, and it runs perfectly on Chrome. Well, that makes sense, because YouTube's a Google company, and Chrome is a Google product. And so... So you migrate. You're like, oh, I love Firefox, but I'll just use Chrome because everything seems to run a little bit more smoothly. And then the Firefox loses market share. But I- well, let me ask you. Let me ask you another question, David. Uh, is this is this going the way of like uh, AT and T and a monopoly to where it's more regulated? Uh, are we going in that direction with uh, with internet? I I don't know, but I do know this. <laughs> Google announced a new plan to remove cookies from Chrome. Do you know what cookies are? Yeah. yeah. The, the primary means... Um, are tracking, tracking what you click and who clicks what. Yes. So 
I forget what it's called, removing cookies. Um, third party cookies. Obviously, they're going to allow their own cookies, you know? <laughs> yeah. But they have a. What is it called? They have a acronym that I should learn if I want to talk about this. Um, but basically what it does is it favors Flock. It's called Flock. There it is. Um, flock. Flock. What is Flock? Federated Learning of Cohorts. Provides wow. a new way for businesses to reach people uh, with relevant content by ads by clustering large groups of people with similar interests. This approach hides individuals in the crowd and uses on-device processing to keep a person's web history private on the browser. Flock can provide an effective replacement for third-party cookies. That's what Google wants to roll out. Mm. Interesting, huh? Now, do you know who that benefits? Guess. That should that should should benefit Google. Yes. That's who it benefits to the detriment yeah. of other advertising services. Yeah. Cuz cuz uh, let me let me get this straight. So, what they're saying is is that to protect the individual user we're, we're using Flock, but Google still has that information if they want to if we want to drill down to get it. But then third party won't be able to use it because it's it's protecting the users from third parties. Well, is, is that the is that the point? Exactly. I think that the way you've described it is just about perfect. If you look at the flock can provide a, re, a effective replacement signal for third party cookies. Well, that yeah. means that if you want to advertise with any efficiency on the web, you have to go to Google. Before companies could put cookies on their websites. And they could track users from a variety of different uh, points. You know, oh, this person, and we know that they were logged in with this email address, and we can get them at you know protonmail.com, and and we'll you know email market to them or whatever. Uh, now, without being able to use third-party cookies, the only people that can track people across the web is Google. So, if you want to effectively advertise to anyone, you have to. Spend your advertising dollars with Google, not with someone else. Or, I guess my my thought always goes to, or if the government wants to track some subversive type of information, they have to go through Google. Yeah. Now, what about what about uh, Safari and and uh, and Apple? Do they have similar kind of? Uh, uh, Provisions. I think they're. That's that's another interesting thing with the latest iOS update, and there's going to be, I think, a bigger court case. We've sort of strayed from talking about Apple versus Epic, but I think there may be a bigger court case between Apple and Facebook. Now, Facebook is a real big company. Epic, yeah. they're a big company, but they're not a real big company. Yeah. So in the latest iOS update, um. Apple has allowed users that use Instagram and Facebook to opt out of Facebook and Instagram's personalized tracking. Now, that is Facebook and Instagram's entire business model. 
Wow, yeah. And so you have to opt into the tracking. Facebook is saying this is going to destroy the experience. And if Apple doesn't rescind this, we're going to charge people to use Facebook and Instagram on the iPhone and the iPad. And it's like, oh, we're quaking in our boots. But um, I think I saw an article a couple days ago that since the iOS update, when you had to opt in to sharing your information with Facebook, iOS users are getting a 4% opt-in rate to share their data with Facebook. So 96% of people are choosing not to share their data. Wow. That's fast. And I think there's going to be a court case over this, you know. Because that's that's the bread and butter of Facebook. And I always wondered, like, uh, um, you know how Amazon has Alexa? Like, Alexa, stop. That's their mm-hmm. platform. It's like an audio platform. They keep a microphone in your house gathering information on you 24 hours a day. And they use it to yeah. uh, target products at you. And Facebook had... A uh, similar thing called the portal. Do you remember this? No. Uh, the Facebook portal. It was like a little screen that you put in your kitchen. Like, Facebook, show me recipes for kitchen cacciatore. And it you know, pulls it up from Facebook or whatever. And I always thought, who would want a product called the portal that's made by Facebook in their living room? Like, that seems like the worst idea of all time. I think the rationale behind this is, at some point, you have to control the hardware, you have to control the platform and you have to create platforms that sort of work their way into people's lives or else you're completely beholden to whoever controls that platform, whether that be iOS or Android operating system. Um, I feel like even, you know, Mac OS and PC, they're very much more open to developers, you know, you can run your own code on a Mac or a PC, you can, um, more so than a phone or a tablet. But you start talking about a video game console, PlayStation, Xbox, you start talking about a phone, you know, whether it's a Samsung Galaxy phone or a a Google Pixel phone or an iPhone, um, those are locked down far more than just a regular old computer. Uh... Because the operating system is iOS, and the only software you can install is from the App Store. And to be on the App Store, you have to have a developer account. And they say that's for security. Like, you don't get malware that way because we have to vet everything that goes through. But it's also for them to take 30% of everyone's good idea. Yeah. Fascinating. So... Yeah, that to me, to me, that just raises a lot of questions about the future or how this stuff is going to be regulated, how it's going to be controlled. Uh, uh, what types of uh, cyber fights are there going to be between uh, different companies that are trying to get a piece of the pie? Uh, that's just uh, it's almost like the Wild West. It's like the cyber Wild West. And uh, there's going to be an okay corral here pretty soon mm-hmm. uh, where they're, they're going to have some shootouts and someone's going to come out winning. And uh, I'm not, who knows how, who knows how beneficial that is and are, and should it be that way? Uh, which is another question. Should, should the, the, 
the the the, the fastest gun win, or should there be some kind of regulation uh, on how how to prove uh, move on this? Because this is not just business. It's not just the games. It's not just the companies. Uh, they're handling information of the public, and the public it is a huge amount of information in in not only the uh, uh, different states, different countries, but also the world, mm-hmm. it's worldwide. I I I always think back to, and this is completely off topic, but um, when Jack Dorsey had to testify. He's the CEO of Twitter. And and I think this is true for Zuckerberg as well. But they said, you know, Twitter, do you think that they're a liberal institution? And Jack Dorsey, he said, because they banned Trump, you know. And Jack Dorsey said, well, American politics is less than 1% of our platform. So you think of it because you're a congressman as a forum for the discussion of American politics. I think of it as that 99% of the other things that Twitter's used for. It's used for following your favorite K-pop band. It's used for discussing knitting. It's used for, you know, a million myriad uses. And you see in it the one that applies to you because that's the way the algorithm works. But what you don't see is 99% of what it does. It's fascinating, don't you think? So does the 99% that are that has social benefit, mm-hmm. if we let it go, does that empower the 1% that's going to create uh, conflict and uh, storming the capital? I, I, that's a good question. It's like, is the free and fair flow of information... These groups, I mean, I'm sure in these groups, there's needlepoint groups on Facebook where people feel marginalized because they think that they're the best needlepoint artist, but they haven't risen to the top of their Facebook group. And they say, these face group people are idiots. I'm the best needlepoint artist. And there's cliques that form. And I mean, it's the tribalism of, of humans. And I suppose, you know, if it plays out in a dangerous political way, that's one thing. But I'm sure that it's happening in these subgroups all the time. But I'm also sure that people find a lot of joy from connecting with others, like-minded individuals. With And there's people that are not bad faith actors that right. don't subvert some of these groups, and they're wholesome. They're wholesome uses of the Internet, and they have a meaningful impact on people's lives. And it's difficult to say because this can be exploited by bad faith actors. And we're way off the Apple Epic discussion now. <laughs> but because this can be exploited by bad faith actors, it is inherently bad. That's not necessarily true. Good right. faith You're actors right. can congregate there and take a lot of meaning out of their experiences there. That's right. That's such a good point, David. Uh, just because you have a, a, a platform for good faith actors, that doesn't mean that that same platform can be used by bad faith actors. Mm-hmm. Okay. And does that make everything bad? Uh, no. Uh, but does it make it good either? No, it's just a platform. <laughs> and, and so how do you, 
how do you keep the good good and the bad bad? I mean, how do you keep them separate? It's it's not an easy question. But then again, that that raises again a lot of questions and a lot of issues that there is going to be good faith and bad faith actors mm-hmm. uh, in any type of platform or any type of service. It's always been that way, but with the internet, with technology, the 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 consequences and the implications are much broader and much more severe now. So it's going to be raising uh, more serious questions that require action, that require some uh, some action to to protect ourselves. Yeah, I mean and all I, these shootings and everything. I think that we got off topic um, mm-hmm. because. The social media debate, I think, is actually more exciting than the Apple Epic debate. But what we are talking about is platforms. <laughs> so yeah. I think we're talking no, about... Let's go back to that. But we're talking about like uh, a social media platform. If that's where you socialize, especially during a pandemic, it can have a vast... The algorithmic way that you're served information can have a vast effect on... They control the way you think, more or less, right? That's right. Now, this is a platform where... I think we should look at it from if you and I developed an app. And in the marketplace, our margin could be 31%. And if we were able to sell that app on our website, if some people went to www.sonsofsequoiapodcast.com and bought that digital good, um, we would make a 30% margin. So if we sold it for 100 bucks, we'd make 30 bucks. Um, Because it costs us $70 to produce. Well, if we sell 100 of them, we'll make 3,000 bucks. But if we say, no one's buying this on our website, we need to make an app in the app store. Well, Apple eats our whole margin. And is that fair just so that we can put it on their store? Do you know what I mean? Yep. So like like Squarespace, we're not sponsored by Squarespace, but... They're a way for people that have something to sell to put up a website and sell it on their website. And Squarespace, I think they charge $20 a month with a 3% fee. So that's the transaction fee, like merchant services, crop processing fee. So you pay $20 a month and 3%. Well, if you're selling $10,000 worth of good a month, that, uh, you know, $300 plus $20 a month, that's $320. That's way less than 30% of $10,000. <laughs> you know, it makes sense to sell it on your own website because um, you're just getting a transaction fee. The transaction fee on iOS is 30%. That does seem a little onerous. And but they're doing it. They're doing it because they can. Yeah. And and it's working. Uh, that That's the pragmatism of, of our country. Uh, but you know why else they're doing it? Because they've established a platform that a billion people use. That's right. So once you have that, you do have power. You say, oh, it shouldn't be 30%. Look at this other place where I can do $20 a month and 3%. Why can't you do that? And say, yeah, you go there. But guess what? A billion people don't use that. (laughs) That's right. A billion people use ours, and we say it's 30%. So did they get rewarded for being first you know, in the market and sort of aggressively having commercials all over the place and sort of developing that market share, shouldn't they be able to take some of that back on the back end? Isn't that just business? Uh, yes, it's business. But it's more than the monetary part. It's the, it's the control and the power mm-hmm. that they have. 
it's it's a it's a sticky wicket. Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's difficult. I think it's fascinating, though, don't you? I think it's really fascinating, and there's going to have to. There is no answer. Uh, there's no easy answer. Uh, there's got to be compromises, and we got to. It's not going to be easy in the future. I think. I think one thing we can say. I think you'll agree with me on this. Like what we were just talking about, we built the platform. We got a billion iPhones and iPads into people's hands, and you have to pay for that. That makes sense. Now, do you think this was always going to happen? And it's just that Epic is the first person with enough power in the marketplace to say, let's give it a shot. Let's try to put a store within a store. And so Apple's strategy worked, and it was working flawlessly. But do you think that they have always planned on this pushback coming? Do you see what I'm saying? Uh, uh, yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. And uh, my feelings is that uh, uh, in the back in the back of Apple's mind, in the back of the, the executives of Apple, in the back of their mind, they figured something like this is going to happen, but they never really thought about it. Uh, I don't think they planned for it or planned to mitigate it. On the other hand, the other thing I want to uh, want to think of that's going through my head is that uh, Epic may be the first one uh, down going down this path, but usually the first ones are not necessarily the successful ones. It's people that follow, and usually they blaze the trail, uh, but then people can start following, and so uh, uh, it's it's going to be more of a more of a push uh, toward Apple mm-hmm. where they get to, they're, they're going to have to deal with it. And I, if I was an Apple, I would say. You know, we we have power. We can control this now, but uh, it has started, and so we have to be very careful how we move. Uh, there's going to be some compromises. There's going to be mitigations, as far as the risk is concerned. So on both sides, uh, this is this is the start of a new wave. Mm-hmm. That that's how I would say it. That's how I see. It. That's that that's how I feel. Yeah. Well, I. I, I, here's my question. Do you know what side-loading apps is? I think I do. but So uh, I have this phone. I, I don't have an iPhone. I have a Samsung phone. Yeah. Um, I have to go into my security settings, and it's like, allow side-loading of apps. And then I can sort of download apps that I get from anywhere on the Internet, and they'll run. Um, I don't need to get them from the Google Play Store. That's available here. But when you say allow sideloading, it says this makes your phone way less secure because any app that you can get the code for, you know, the executable or not an execute, whatever it is on an Android, um, you can run it and it'll install. It'll install the, the binaries will install. And we haven't vetted that with Google Play Protect, which is our sort of in our store. We check every program and make sure it's not sketchy. Um, well, I could do that. I've never done it because the phone offers me enough services that I'd never sought services outside of whatever was in the app store. But what if Apple said, okay, we'll let you do that. And, you know, you make it this convoluted, hard process. that's kind of opaque and you have to click a million buttons and sort of allow all these security concessions. And Apple's not responsible if it bricks your phone because you installed something dumb. Um, is that enough to say, okay, it's not a monopoly anymore? You can install stuff from the wild web. We just let people know that it's wild and that nothing's guaranteed. You could brick your phone. Um, is that where we're going to end up? 
<laughs> I don't know. Shall we finish? It's a good question. It's a very good question, David. Shall good we question. finish the article? Yeah, let's finish the article. This is this has been great. This has been. Uh, that's what a podcast is for. Mm-hmm. Sort of thinking about these issues, talking through them, and and we talking don't we don't understand them as well as an Epic or Apple lawyer. We don't understand them as well as a technologist. But we use you use an iPhone. I use an Android phone. We use computers every single day to do our work. So, on some level, it's part of our lives. It's a big part of our lives. The technology. What? I think another value of what we're talking about is we're, we're not a, we're not those lawyers. We don't understand it. But sometimes I know even what I do. Uh, you get so close to it. You get so close to what you're doing. You miss what people on the outside are looking at and what they see. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they'll see features you never thought of because you get too close to the get too close to the issues. And I think what we're talking about is like from a layperson, how we use it. Here's here's my iPhone. The way I use this thing, I go, yeah, but what about this and this and this? That's from the outside looking in. I know it's not as detailed. It's not as technical. But it is a viewpoint that a lot of people in our position will have. Yeah. And it's something they should consider. If they're smart. <laughs> all right, let's finish. It's all about the market. The fight to define games and gaming devices is a proxy for a much bigger battle. Epic's case hinges on defining Apple as a market unto itself. It is attempting to show that the company exercises complete control of its own ecosystem, where app makers must pay, play by its rules if they want to access the hundreds of millions of Apple users and devices. And Apple, of course, needs to convince U.S. District Judge Yvonne Gonzalez Rogers that there are numerous competitors users can choose from if they don't like how it operates. While courts are reluctant to define single brand markets, it seems appropriate to do so here, said Mark Lemley, director of Stanford University's program in law, science, and technology. If you own an iPhone, you can only buy apps through the Apple App Store. People aren't going to switch phone ecosystems based upon the availability of a single app. I beg to differ. (laughs) <laughs> I would use Linux um, if I didn't need Cubase and the Adobe suite of products, which don't exist on Linux. So that is more than one app, but that is a very finite number of apps that force me into my operating system choice. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes. So I think when he says this, What he means in this statement, people aren't going to switch phone ecosystems based upon the availability of a single app. I think what he means is most people. The vast majority of people. You see what I'm saying? Because I'm I'm an edge case. But but that, yeah, I understand what you're saying. But I guess let me get this clear. Do you think he's saying that people who are tied into the iPhone are not going to just move because they're going to be loyal. They can, but but they they, they won't. They or, won't do that. Or if your whole life is on your phone, which basically people's whole lives are on their phone, yeah, you'll give up Fortnite to stay with the ecosystem that you've chosen. Yeah. Like I've often thought, like, if I switch to iPhone, I, I think it would be relatively seamless, but I don't want to because I've always used an Android phone. So I'm used to it. Yeah. So he, he's not talking... So, so what we're saying here, he's not talking about what you're capable of doing or not capable of doing. It's what your behavior is. Yes. Your behavior would not want to do that. People are not want are not going to want to switch. 
Mm -hmm. They can, uh, but they're not going to want to do that. Is that kind of, is that what he's saying? Uh, Yeah. Also, it's like, I want to say most people, because I know that there were people that were professional Fortnite players that played on iPad. And if all of a sudden you can't do that anymore, are you switching to just PC or are you saying, okay, well, I'm going to buy the most expensive Android tablet because I can run Fortnite on that. And I'm a professional Fortnite player. I'm making 50 grand a year playing Fortnite and try to learn how to play Fortnite on an Android tablet because I can't play it on iOS anymore. See what I'm saying? So, yeah, yeah, you would switch for one app in that case. Yeah. But that's a very marginalized case, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, Epic also faces the challenge of proving that Apple's payment requirements are anti-competitive. Apple has countered that commissions are necessary to help pay for its frequently touted privacy and security features. Epic sought to throw cold water on that argument in the second half of the week by extensively questioning two Apple executives, App Store VP Matt Fisher and App Review Director Tristan Kosminka on the company's process for adding apps to the company's devices. Epic's lawyers showed several pages of internal Apple emails that revealed fraudulent, malicious, and copycat apps that made it through the review process. Dun, dun, dun. Wow. Fisher said the company felt justified that we earn our commission on digital transactions. I think the number of mistakes that are are a small fraction of the effectiveness of the overall review process. I think that anyone that works on commission, when they make a sale, they feel justified that they've earned their commission, right? Yeah. I mean, if you're a real estate agent and you sell a house, you feel justified that you've earned that commission. Whether it was the most difficult sales process ever, or if you're dealing with completely reasonable people and the approvals just fly through. Regardless of how easy or hard it is, you always feel justified that you... You've earned your commission. So uh, yep. so how they feel is irrelevant to me. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Uh, finally, what happens next? We're about to conclude the article, then we'll conclude the episode. Have you found... This is fascinating, right? This, this episode? It's very... It's, it's real. It's current. It's, and uh, it's current. It's brought us to the point here. And also it's f- futuristic too. This is not going away. Mm-hmm. This is this has been really good. Yeah. So far, a testimony has come from Sweeney, which is Epic's CEO, and several other Epic Games executives. Two Apple executives and one representative each from Microsoft and computer systems NVIDIA, as well as, as the maker of a yoga app called Down Dog, who testified about Apple's App Store policies and restrictions. So now they're getting a small developer, Down Dog. Mm-hmm. Microsoft, who makes obviously the Windows operating system, and computer systems maker NVIDIA, who makes uh, graphics cards, and I think they've made some gaming devices in the past, but they are, NVIDIA is very associated with the gaming community. They make the graphics cards that are in our computers, um, the NVIDIA GeForce. Mm-hmm. And famously, Apple has always used NVIDIA's competitor in all of its systems, ATI Radeon. So is NVIDIA butthurt about that and coming to Epic's aid? <laughs> <laughs> um, Maybe. Perhaps, right? That's probably part of it. Uh-huh. That's part of it. 
Yeah. Uh, the court proceedings will resume Monday with Epic continuing to build its case before Apple is expected to take over later in the week. Several senior Apple executives are expected to testify, including CEO Tim Cook and Senior Vice President of Software Engineering Craig Federighi. The trial is expected to run until May 24th, so it could be weeks until a verdict is reached, and appeals are likely to follow. Whatever the result, the case is bound to make a bound to mark a big shift on several fronts, including broader app ecosystem worth tens of billions of dollars and tech regulation in general. I think Apple has more to lose here because it has a very lucrative business model at stake. Obviously, um, said Lemley of Stanford, although he points that Epic, valued at $29 billion, also has a lot of money on the table. The company has a pending lawsuit against Google over its Android app store and could open itself up to a battle with console makers over their own restrictions. That would be this blowing up in Epic's face. So, yeah. They win the battle but they lose the war. Yeah. All of a sudden they blow up the console system. So PlayStation and Xbox, if if the app store is wrong, then the console system is wrong too. And or then they they find themselves fighting Sony, Microsoft, Google, and Apple. I mean, it's Apple's a trillion dollar company. Epic's a thirty billion dollar company. So three percent, right? Yep. Epic's three percent the size of Apple. Well, if you want to yeah. throw on Google, Microsoft, Sony. Google, Microsoft, and Sony, that's going to be less than 3%. So I don't know if they have the resources to fight that fight. But uh, let's finish. More generally, the public stands to benefit from an epic win, both because it would mean that Apple would find it much harder to exclude apps it competes with and because it will reduce the cost of entry for new apps. Lightman of Carnegie Mellon echoed that Apple has more on the line. Apple is going to be in a place where their brand has been trashed, tarnished a bit. Win or lose, Apple is going to be perceived as a company that's sort of extorting exorbitant rents out of the folks that they work with. I mean, that's somewhat true. Which brings up, again, brings up another point. Uh, Epic may be doing this not to win a court case, but to bring up issues for negotiating uh, in the space uh, that is a better... uh, a better result than they have now. Yes. In other words, not winning, not winning the war, but but winning some battles here, uh, to where it's kind of like if you have enough, uh, if you have enough presence on the on the on the battlefield, uh, it's much better to partner with whoever's going to win, <laughs> mm-hmm. to where you're going to have a better position in the future than you do now than if you didn't. So who knows? Who knows? what the strategies are going to be, if you see what I'm saying. Yeah. And to go back to what I was talking about earlier, mm-hmm. there are open source phones. And they're extraordinarily expensive, and they stink. <laughs> and I don't want to throw these companies under the bus because they're trying to create an open system for telephony. That's free from Google and free from Apple. But let's just look at one, shall we? Okay. Let's look at one. That's called the Librem 5. Okay, I never heard of it. Oh, of course you haven't. Librem 5. It's a giant brick. Now, I've seen reviews of it. (laughs) 
5.7 inch screen. That's way smaller. Three gigabytes of memory, 32 gigabytes of ECM. Uh, they, I mean, these specs don't mean anything. If you look at it, they do have kill switches. It'll disconnect your camera, disconnect your Wi-Fi, and disconnect your Bluetooth. That's for privacy. A user-replaceable battery, like we used to have back in 2010. And you know why? Because this phone functions as if it were from 2010. Um, I've seen reviews of this. People say, oh, the cameras don't work. Uh, oh, it runs a desktop operating system. Uh, basically on a small screen. Oh, it's clunky, but you know what? It costs, order now. It costs $800. $800. So wow. it costs more than your or my Samsung or iPhone cost, despite sort of performing as if it was made seven or eight years ago. Um, that's so not. That's what, so that's what you'd pay for security. For that's what you pay for having a phone that is completely free of Apple or Google services. And right. I think that a lot of this, the privacy features are just like. Someone who would buy this is more privacy-minded. Um, that's, that's the idea of, of the three kill switches. But I think the real selling point is what you're buying is a phone that's not tied to Apple or Google. And that's the cost of entry. And so we think of, oh, my phone is slow. Oh, it's old. And it was made in 2016. Well, this phone performs like it was made in 2012, <laughs> but you don't have to use Apple or Google. That's so. If you bought a, if you bought a Librem Five, what you're doing is replacing convenience with privacy. Yes. And historically, Google and Apple are saying people will give up privacy for convenience. For convenience. It's the opposite way. So there you go. And, and so how, how much of America or the world will give up their privacy and security and their information for convenience? Most of them. Most of them. But, and I will say this because I don't want to crap on the Librem 5, even though from all accounts, it, is, it does not perform as well as a flagship phone. This is a, I have a Galaxy 10. So that's, what are they on? The 21? That's three, it's three generations old. This would beat the brakes off of the Librem 5. It would run circles around it in terms of its uh, processing ability, the camera features, the snappiness, screen resolution, screen size. Everything about it is better. But I do think there's something to be said for you don't need the Librem 5 to be the next iPhone. You don't need the Librem 5 to be the Galaxy. You need enough people that care about privacy, that don't care about convenience, that are willing to sacrifice the technical specifications of their phone to purchase a product like this, to make it so that there actually still exists an option in the marketplace to have a phone that's free from Google or Apple. One perspective is to make sure you have a, a free market, you have competitors. Yes. The other perspective from the government looking at this is saying, what type of user would want privacy and why would they want the privacy? 
I mean, you could look at it that way, but it's none of your business. <laughs> it's none of your business why, why I want privacy. And that's why they buy the phone. Yeah. 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 What I'm saying is, is that uh, who's going to start migrating toward that, you know, uh, to, 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 to what, what are they doing that they don't want anyone to know? And so today there's so much out there that we can see what everyone's doing. If someone is doing something you can't see, uh, maybe that'll raise flags in, in, uh, in, what are they I don't doing? Know. I, yeah, maybe it will, but that shouldn't, you know. It shouldn't, because up until the last, until these surges, uh, privacy has always been there. Yeah, if I the mean, cops uh, knocked on your door right now and they said, we want to toss your house, and you said, what for? And they said, no reason. We just were driving by. We thought we'd check to see if you had anything illegal in your house. And you said, no, you can't search it. And they said, why not? What do you have to hide? It's the same thing. It is the same thing. Um, yep. I I think that we've been normalized to whatever you do on your phone, someone knows what, what's going on. And and so it's like, but there's a way that you could buy a phone where less giant corporations have all your data. It's like, well, what do you have to hide? Why don't you want those corporations to have all your data? It's like, that's not the point. Like, I don't have anything to hide. But I still feel like I deserve to be in control of my own destiny on some on some level, right? True, true. So, so I will point out though that the Librem Five, the phone that's free from Apple and Google services, no way in hell it runs Fortnite. <laughs> <laughs> what's the what's the server? What server is, is there? Do they have their own server? That, it's a that... it's a Linux distribution. Linux, okay. So all these chips, I don't know what chip this is. It's an IMX8M. So I'm sure that it's no Snapdragon or Apple A13 Bionic, but it's an ARM-based chip. And so Linux has realized, oh, we got to start, you know, porting our... So, I mean, I think Linux has always been very good at running on whatever architecture it needs to so it ran on power pc it ran on x86 x86 64 and now it runs on arm and so it's basically taking a a linux desktop operating system this is how i sort of in the demos i've seen i've never had my hands on a Librem 5 and saying how does this function with touchscreen functionality and sort of just doing the the programming to sort of make uh Linux desktop operating system, function on a phone, uh, function on a small, basically a small tablet Yeah. with, you know, touchscreen keyboard and mm-hmm. telephony. And that's what they've done. And they're selling it for 800 bucks. You know why? Because no one else has done it yet. And I think the reason why no one else has done it is it's kind of hard. Yeah. I mean, we think of the well, iPhone, the iPhone and the I, Sa- the Samsung phones and the Google phones. They're incredible devices. They're incredible oh, devices that have had hundreds of millions of dollars of research and development that make them so incredible. Now, if you're purism, you don't have those hundreds of millions of dollars, so your phone's going to be bulkier, bigger. It's not going to be as premium feeling. It's going to run slower. Um, but the trade-off is, you're not tied to those companies that did all that research and development. Yeah. Well, I I think, you know, 
senators, ambassadors, people in the public eye, people who are doing international type trade or international politics are they're the people who should be using those those phones. Journalists. And the government journalists, they should be who have very sensitive clients. Uh, they're the ones who should be using those phones on one side. Then on the other side, people are going to be using those those phones to where they don't want anyone to know who they're talking to. And some yeah. people are just open source nerds. Yeah, that's going to be that's going to be a. Um, but my point is, uh, everyone I've seen on YouTube, and this is obviously a self selecting biased. Everyone I've seen that uses or has a Librem Five is a Linux nerd. Because I know it exists. I think that... Uh, also, if you're a Linux nerd, it's a perfect thing to talk about. If you're an international drug smuggler, you're like, I run drugs for a living and I bought this phone. You're like, yo, YouTube, you know, you, would, you wouldn't make that video. You're not going to, you know, that video wouldn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> Although, uh, the other thing too is that is, is the Librem 5, is that the only one? Are there others? There's another one called... Let's look. I forget what it's called. It's even worse than the, the Librem Five. Is the iPhone of Linux phones? <laughs> There's another one. What's it called? Pine Phone. This one is two hundred dollars. One forty nine. And apparently, like hardly any of the hardware works. <laughs> okay. It's uh. Hey, but they're doing it anyway. You get what you pay for. Yeah, they're out there doing it. So also, these are they're very hard to get. I think that, um, I think that the Linux community snatches them up as fast as they can make them. Huh. So if I tried to buy, like I think with Librem Five, oh, it's on sale. I kind of want to buy one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kind of do too. <laughs> I do too. We should we should communicate with just a Librem five, me and you, right? Yeah. Um, the Pine Phone. See, yeah, this is. Oh wait, no, Pine Book Pro store. Um, I can't find the Pine Phone. There it is, Pine Phone pre order now. So they never have stock. You know, so oh, we put Linux yeah. on a phone and it's one hundred fifty bucks. Give us one hundred fifty bucks, and sometime in the unspecified <laughs> future, we'll send you your phone. It's like I don't like that deal at all. I think that uh, now here's the difference. This Librem Five on sale today. Now it's not 150 bucks; it's 800 bucks. But you can click the buy button and they'll ship it to you. So we should buy a couple, David. Yeah, it's just what uh, 1600 bucks. Is it? Is it? Maybe we should buy it and just have another podcast on how how we. Uh, uh, on the use of it, Librem Five was, Life, Librem Five Life. Uh, Do uh, a uh, side by side comparison. This is a video I shot with my iPhone. This is the video <laughs> I shot with the Librem Five. I'm like, oh yikes! Librem Five doesn't look quite as good. No, but hey, uh, I have control of it. I have total control of it, and it's my and it's my picture. It's not a picture that can be seen. If anyone wanted to, it doesn't immediately uh, upload to your camera roll, or mine immediately right. uploads to Google Photos. Mm -hmm. But some people like that. I like being able to take a picture on my hike, and then come back and I'm just doing work. I'm like, man, I wish I was still hiking. I'm like, wait, let me go to Google Photos, and there it is from my phone. It's on my computer. I like that. 
So I've <laughs> traded my privacy for convenience and for that feature, you know? Yeah. But think, I think in the future, as consumers get more uh, uh, informed and more sophisticated, they will uh, trade their privacy for convenience for some things, but maybe not other things. Mm-hmm. And, and at that there's point... Where there's where the Librem 5 come in. At that point, with 20 years of Google and Facebook and Apple, um, it won't matter to those companies. It's like we already know everything about you. Our algorithms have determined everything you'll buy for the next 30 years. Um, we know who you are. We don't need any more information. We know a little too much about you. Yeah. Although uh, we both don't have Facebook. That, uh, I do. I, sh- I should have shut it down, but it's open. Um, Is it? I, I shut mine down. But I haven't accessed it on any of my devices, so I'm not sure. Like, if I went to it, it would be bizarre to see, like, are they serving me? Because I don't have it on my phone. And I still have an account from back in the day, but I haven't looked at it in five, six years. So I'm yeah. wondering, would the, the ads that it serves me be up to date if I accessed it from a browser that I don't use all the time? Or would it be like, oh, this is what you liked in 2015? You know, would that be what I would get? Fascinating. I don't want to find out. I don't want to use Facebook. (laughs) And we got a little bit into a generalized discussion about social media, algorithms, and large companies. This is more about control of the marketplace. Our discussion today, this is what our discussion was supposed to be. How do you see it shaking out? Me? Yes. Oh, the, oh, this particular The Apple article? Epic, the 30% surcharge for iOS apps, and the future of the mobile operating system as a walled garden on phones. Do you see it opening up? Do you see there being some sort of profit-sharing agreements reached between game developers or, you know, multiverse or whatever developers? It's a game. Come on. Epic's trying to call it a multiverse. It's a game. You run around shooting people. It's a game. Um, <laughs> but still, does that mean that Apple should take 30% of their revenue? I, I don't know. I, I don't think so. Uh, how do you see it shaking out, I guess, is my final question. Well, I, th- I think it, it could. Who knows? I mean, it could go any way. But I get a feeling, uh, the general feeling I have is Apple's going to win. Uh, they're so big. They're going to win. But they're going to win in the short term. Uh, it may not be 30%, it may be less, but, but they're going to win. But then after that, because Epic did this, it, it's kind of like opens Pandora's box for other people to start looking at, uh, is this really uh, the way it should be? Mm-hmm. And I think in the long term, this is like the beginning of a change that's going to keep growing and growing and growing. And uh, that that's how I that's how I feel. That's how I think. And I do think they have a point, you know. They feel, do. And it, I think Apple Apple's going to win. I think they do have a point. Well, Apple has a point, but Epic has a point, too. If we were mom they and do. pop, if we were mom and pop or father and son app developers and we put something out there and last year we got 100,000 in revenue. And so we were able to take home 70000 and we had to pay taxes on the 70000 But let's just say 70000 And Epic's going to war with Apple, and it's like, well, if they win, we might be able to keep 100000 instead of 70000 I'm on Epic's side, right? Where you stand depends on where you sit. Um, the 30% fee, it's like 
Apple allowed us to put their thing in their store, they're taking a 30% cut. That seems like a lot, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, it does. For a digital good. It's not like they're using shelf space. It's a digital good. It's it's not like, oh, I want to sell these red wagons at Walmart. Every wagon is going to take up four feet of shelf space. Uh, it's like it's ones and zeros on their server. It's negligible, the cost for them to maintain inventory. Oh, which is another issue. It brings up a digital good. Uh, how do you monetize a digital good? Mm-hmm. And, and how do you have the value uh, proposition of a digital good in order to monetize it, in order, order to, to charge it? It's uh, it, it doesn't go back to physical physical goods. Mm-hmm. There has to be a new way of evaluating uh, the value of a digital good. It's very difficult. Well, it's it's sort of like how if you own a store and you have this product, um, and it's a physical product. I I ordered Laura some goggles that were uh, they look like glasses, but they're safety goggles, so you don't yeah. look like a dork. And they're anti-fog. Now, if you make those goggles, you know, you can make them at a factory in Shenzhen or whatever. um, And you have your brand and you sort of do some advertising. But you realize if people don't want to go to your website and sort of enter their credit card information all over again, you know, you could sacrifice 15% by shipping a giant box to Amazon and have them have it co-located at their warehouse. And so you lose a little bit of money. It cuts into your margins because Amazon's going to take a cut of your profit. But they're co-locating 100,000 of your goggles across the country or across the world. And anyone that orders them gets them in two days. You can't do that as a small goggle manufacturer. Um, That's a real service that they're providing by being the platform from which people purchase from. With Apple, it doesn't really seem like they're providing as much of a service. And they're taking more of a cut. Well, that's what I mean. The evaluate the valuation is going to be very different. It's not it's not uh, what the cut is. It's like, well, how how what's the actual traffic, uh, and then how big are they, and how much presence do you have going through Apple and their services? Uh, how much traffic will you have? Uh, and so they'll just balance that out. So it's a whole different type of valuation. I think it's fascinating. I think this discussion is very fascinating. Very interesting. Maybe we'll have to come back to this as the trial goes on because I've enjoyed talking so. about it. And I, I think, think that so. we're going to see more nuance. You know, What, what I would like to see is people, uh, in, people listening to this podcast uh, giving opinions. I'd like to hear what people's opinions are on this thing. Mm-hmm. I think we've brought up a lot of, a lot of opinions from this article. And our, uh, you and I see things Similar in a lot of areas, but also differently. We're from different generations and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I would love to see what people, what their opinions are in this area. Mm-hmm. I, I think it'd be fascinating, people, uh, uh, what they think, because we, it's just us too. Yeah. And I, I bet there's other people out there that'll have opinions different than us. Mm-hmm. And I, I would love to to hear what they what they think. Yes. So let us know in the comments of the YouTube video, uh, or you could email us at sonsofsequoia at gmail.com. That is our email address. We're giving it out to everybody. Um, (laughs) On this episode alone, I don't know if uh, that's smart, but whatever. Uh, Let us know what you think. 
because we're uh, uh, soliciting user comments. Y'all have a great day. It's been fun talking to you all about this Epic versus Apple. I'm sure we're going to touch on it again because I've actually enjoyed the last hour. I like talking tech. Uh, of course, we totally got off track a few times and started talking about the impact of social media and not really the narrow argument of does a digital storefront that sort of has 100% control of a device like the iPhone and the iPad, should they control the destinies of all the vendors on that device? Or should the vendors be allowed to sort of set up stores within a store? That's the real argument. We got off that a little bit, but I think we may be able to come back to it and squeeze another hour talking about it. So, <laughs> uh, at least, right? At least. So, uh, is that, there... yeah. You ready to quit? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll play the outro music. Um, if you want to have any final thoughts or anything you'd like to say, you got two minutes. Oh, I'll be listening to that. I'll just say, yeah, I think that, yeah, we started in one direction. We went different directions. And that's what this podcast is about. Uh, we we want to talk and we want to hear what other people say. But our whole purpose here is to keep on talking. But listen more than you talk and try to understand what other people are saying. And we'll catch you all in the next one. Have a great day, everybody. Bye.